Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. One of my favorite things about us as a church family is that we relate to each other in a way where we're always cheering each other on uh, and, and we're celebrating each other's victories and we have grace when we fail. Isn't that good? That, that seems like how we should be family together. So to model that, I have to confess that I have failed. Uh, I told you last week, like, let's, like the self-talk is really important. The self-talk is really important. The self-talk is really important. Uh, and then I went golfing. And I hadn't been golfing in about six to eight weeks, which means I couldn't hit a fairway to save myself. As a matter of fact, the first drive on the first tee went what? 25 yards? No, that one didn't go two fairways over. That one didn't go far enough to find a fairway. I think that one. Anyway, I am doing better. Uh, I am experiencing healing, and I am committed to talk more nicely to myself in the days ahead. I, I, I had moments of, of positive self-talk, and then I hit the ball again. So we're all works in progress. Okay, church on Monday. We are kind of ramping down our series. We've got two weeks left together. I'm going to put something up on the screen, and I want you to read it together with me. Are you ready? This is the church on Monday. Read this with me. We are a people of destiny, points of incarnational penetration, chosen by God to represent him in our homes, our schools, and communities. This is who you and I are. People filled with the Spirit of God placed specifically where Jesus wants us to represent him to the people there. He's asked us to be his witnesses, and we do this by, by carrying him out of the sanctuary and into the streets, asking this very critical question, what can I do for you? And this is how we respond to people like Jesus. But let me ask you a question. What if our strategic placement was not just designed for expressing the life and love of Christ, but it was also designed to block the inroads of evil at key places in our culture. Let me read that to you again. What if our strategic placement, coming alongside people with the love of Jesus, was not just designed for expressing the life and love of Christ, but it was also designed to block the inroads of evil at key places in our culture. In other words, what if God has placed us strategically not just to do good, but also to resist evil? What if God has made us, I was trying to think of an analogy, and I, and I just, I started to think about law enforcement, the way that, that they are raised to, to serve and protect and do good, but in doing good, sometimes find themselves stationed or placed in some very dark places in order to keep that darkness at bay. What if God has called us not only to bring Jesus to people, but also to push back the darkness that would blind them to the truth? I think he has. I think this is the second half of our assignment as the church on Monday. And so we're going to spend these last two weeks in the series talking about standing in the truth and wearing the armor of God. So let me take you to the end of Genesis. Genesis. You can go there if you want. I'm going to be in Ephesians. Let me, let me take you to the end of Ephesians, uh, chapter 6, beginning in verse 11. This is Paul's closing thoughts to the church in Ephesus. And he says, finally, after all this other stuff we've talked about, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. 
Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything else, to stand. God has chosen to define the crucial points where evil threatens and to place a spirit-filled believer there. Strategic placement. Luke chapter 10 describes a, a battle. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and it describes a battle where Satan was cast out of heaven. And in Luke 10, 19, Jesus says to his disciples, they've just come back, by the way, from being sent out. And, and they were somewhat amazed that as they, they, they met people who were being harassed by demonic spirits, they were able to cast them out. And Jesus says in Luke 10, 19, he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, he says, I've given you authority to tread on scorpions, serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall hurt you. Another translation says, nothing shall by any means harm you. So Jesus is saying there was a moment in time where there was an insurrection in heaven and God cast Satan down. Now that didn't stop the battle. It changed its location. Do you hear me? It didn't end the battle, but it did change its location. And Jesus says to the disciples and through them to you and me, we have been given the power of authority and of right. Authority means influence. We have been given the power to influence, and we have been given the right. The right is the privilege, the, the, the position as children of God to exercise that authority, to exercise that influence. 2 Corinthians 10 calls this warfare. It says, the weapons of our war are not natural, carnal, but they are spiritual. They are divine for the tearing down of strongholds. Here in Ephesians 6, Paul uses the word struggle. He says we don't struggle with flesh and blood. The, the Greek word for struggle is pale, and it's a contest between two in which each endeavors to throw the other. Another translation calls it wrestling. And this contest is decided when the victor is able to hold his opponent down with his hand upon his neck. So, so God says to us through Paul, listen, you are engaged in a struggle where someone is trying to overthrow you, and so you should be trying to overthrow them. And this battle, this struggle is won when one of you has the other pinned to the ground by his throat. Well, that's exciting. As believers... We become part of God's family. And when we become part of God's family, we become part of this struggle. We're strategically placed by God to neutralize the devil's effectiveness and to frustrate his plans. God puts us in a place for a purpose. And we've covered at length how that purpose is to bring people to Jesus. But he also puts us in a place so at the appropriate moment, at the appropriate time, we are present to resist the influence of evil. One of the clearest examples of this in Scripture is Queen Esther. She's a Jewish woman who's married to the king of Persia when, when the, the Jews have been taken out into captivity and exile. 
and someone rose up in that king's court who marked the Jews for genocide. They were going to be totally annihilated. On a day, the entire nation was going to arise and kill them all. And Esther's uncle, Mordecai, went to Esther and says, Esther, excuse me, says, listen, this is the plan. This is what's going to happen, and you need to do something about it. And she gets nervous, and she says to him, I can't go to the king unless I'm called. If I go to the king without being called and he doesn't extend his scepter to me, I am going to be killed. There is an element of risk for me. And Mordecai looks at Esther and says, listen, you are in this position for such a time as this. And she did. And she told the king about Haman's plan. And Haman was killed and the Jews were spared. This this being positioned for such a time as this takes place on a smaller scale every single day. And what I would say to you this morning and that I hope that you would capture is God has placed you for such a time as this. There is a plan and a purpose for where God has placed you. Some of you may feel that you are sitting in a dark place and perhaps you're not sitting in a dark place because of a mistake that you've made. Perhaps you're sitting in a dark place because you are the answer to keeping that darkness at bay. I served as a chaplain for years, and I went into some very, very dark places. And I had conversations with people who were walking through significant darkness. I didn't know I would engage them when I said yes to being a chaplain, but God knew there was going to be a moment where someone who carried his hope and his love would come into a dark place and say to hell, not today, not on my watch. You don't get to have your way with this woman who has just lost her husband and is despairing for her own life. You don't get to have your way with this young man who has just found his mom dead in her home. You don't get to take his future off in that direction. I am here to stand against your destructive influence. You too have been placed where you are for such a time as this. But here's what we must capture. Church, this is so critically important. Paul says, listen, you struggle not against flesh and blood. This is a critical phrase for us understanding our strategic placement. We must understand that God never views individual people as enemies. The Bible says you and I were enemies of God. And as we were enemies of God, he died for us. God does not see individual people as enemies. Paul is saying there are spiritual forces of evil with plans and strategies that must be resisted. People may be deceived into following or aligning with those strategies, But people are never your enemy. If you try to fight for righteousness and fight for justice and fight for goodness and your target is a person, you are going to lose. People will never be won over by our anger or our rhetoric. They are won over by our love. But you and I have been empowered to stand against the forces of darkness that are keeping people in blindness, keeping people deceived, keeping people in bondage. That is the enemy against whom we struggle, in prayer and in presence. But it is never people. There are people 
I desperately want to fight with. Fair? But if you pick a person, a political person, a person at work, the officer giving you a ticket, the building inspector that's making you, if that person becomes the target, that here's who I'm fighting against, you will never win the war. You will never be successful. Even if people were our enemies, and they're not, but even if they were, we wouldn't be able to escape Matthew 5 that teaches us to love our enemies and bless those who persecute us. When people fight people, everybody loses. He's saying, he's not asking us to identify and fight particular people. He's asking us to understand that there's a spiritual thing that is going on behind the scenes that that they don't even see. That's why he says, take your stand against the devil's schemes, his his deceit, his, his trickery, the strategies he employs that combat all that is good and keep people in bondage. Here's all you need to know about the devil. The devil hates God and everything God loves. Hates it with a limitless passion. And he is out to completely destroy God's creation. You see that in the beginning of the Garden of Eden when he, he first encounters Eve. And you see that throughout the scripture until he is finally overthrown in the book of Revelation. He hates believers, he hates unbelievers, and he hates the world that God created. There is no such thing as neutrality in the kingdom of God what it has to do with the kingdom of darkness. No one can claim I am spiritually Swiss. This is not my fight. I'm just going to get along. If the devil don't bug me, I won't bug him. It does not work that way. Where interaction with the devil is concerned, you are either a victor or a victim. There is no middle ground. Aren't you glad you came to church today? I'm looking at you guys. Eyes are getting a little big like, what are we talking about? We're talking about winning. That's what we're talking about. Unfortunately, the devil has so completely blinded the eyes of many inside and outside of the church that we are completely unaware that we are actually engaged in a conflict. And we're unaware of the implications that it has for us. So God places us, places the church on Monday strategically not to wrestle against people who are blinded but against the rulers, he says, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil. Wherever there is a destructive plan in place, we can affect the outcome. And the way Paul says we are to do this is so antithetical to my combative, aggressive, competitive mind. He says, John, stand your ground. I'm sorry, what? Stand your ground. Stand, which means to make firm or establish, to sustain the authority of something. When you stand, and as he goes on to say, wrapped in the armor of God, in a place where the enemy is trying to make an inroad, You are a bulwark. You are a blockade. You are a presence that says to hell, you can't get through here. As you stand, as you decide, I am not backing up. 
I am going to stay right where God has placed me. I'm not going to hide, and I'm not going to pretend this isn't happening, but I'm not going to be a bombastic, aggressive presence and go fight against people. Because we are in a spiritual fight, God says that he has given a spiritual armor specifically designed to frustrate the devil's plans. He says, you wrestle not against flesh and blood. He says, stand. And then he says, put on your armor. What does that mean? It means these three things are related. Struggling, resisting the enemy by standing requires us to be dressed the way God has equipped us to be dressed. One of the things that just blew my mind when I started being a chaplain was was watching some of the cops come out to get in the car wearing 40 pounds of gear. I'm like, I had a buddy who was like six foot five. I think he started his career as a seven footer. But legitimately, 40 pounds just kind of weighs you down. But he needed everything that he put on every time he went out to protect and serve. You and I as believers are exactly the same way. God says, here is is the uniform, the equipment I've provided for you. You need to put it on every day you go out because this armor is specifically designed to frustrate the devil's plans. And so when you wear it to take your stand against the devil's schemes, it means his schemes won't work where you are. Not only will they not work against you, but it, they won't work against the people God has placed you near. Then Paul says this, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground. Standing your ground. Many states have what's called a stand your ground law. And basically what that means is, say we're in my house, um, if somebody knocks on the door and I open the door and say hello and they say, would you like to buy something, I can't punch them. That's, That's not standing my ground. That's being a jerk. But if someone tries to forcefully seek entry into my house and I believe they intend to do me or my family harm, I have the right to use every resource at my disposal to resist that entry. That's what it means to stand your ground. And Paul is saying to you and to me, when something comes towards you, those you love or where God has placed you that intends to do harm, you have not only the right, but the responsibility to use every resource at your disposal to thwart that inroad. Wherever people's hearts or minds, souls, or well-being are at risk, that's where we are to stand and resist evil. And that may be, I don't know where that may be for you. It could be in the arena of social justice could be vulnerable populations. It could have to do with racism. It could have to do with education. It, it does not always have a spiritual implication. Sometimes it simply means I am standing firm to protect and preserve that which Jesus loves. This person is being mistreated. There is a policy that is going to be brought to bear that is going to do harm to this section of our society. And so I, as a follower of Christ, am going to say not on my watch. 
because he's placed you there, it can go no further. I just, I, I want to say again, as I was praying for you this morning, it, some of you may be going, I don't understand why I keep finding myself in these places. Like, why am I here again? When I was a, a young pastor, had not been pastoring very long, um, there, was a, there was a missionary who had been aligned, associated with our church, and he and his family were in the country for fundraising, and, and one day there's a knock on my door, and it's his wife. And, he, and she says, my husband's taken my car keys. He's saying, I can't leave the house. And, and first of all, that's not very godly, uh, and I'm not okay with that. And she, she said, I don't remember the other thing she said, but I said, here's what you do. I said, are you safe to go home, or would you like to stay here? She said, no, I want to go home where my kids are. I said, okay, if he does this, this, or this, I want you to show up on my doorstep, and I'm going to take care of this. He did one of those. And so I called him in my office, and I said, this will not stand. We do not treat women this way ever. And so here is the restorative path that you get to take if you are submitted to do it, and this is what health is going to look like in the future. If you don't do that, there will be consequences. He did not do that, and there were consequences. One of those consequences was I notified our denominational leadership that he was out of compliance, that he was not being godly. I had a list of things. I sat him down in my office, and I said, we're pulling your support. We're pulling our endorsement of you for these six reasons. At end of business today, this is going to our national office. He was not happy. He was like, get a lawyer to sue you, not happy. And it took three years of walking that out, because he was a phenomenal liar, before people finally began to see what we had seen. And for those three years, I'm going, God, why? 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 I didn't understand the why probably until 20 years later when I had seen this same thing play out with three other unhealthy leaders. And I'm like, God, what is wrong with me that I keep finding myself in these places? Like, why do I not see it and why do I not run for it from it? And then I come to Ephesians 6 and I realize that there are places that God has placed me to provide healing and covering for people who are being wounded and to make sure that evil goes this far and no further. And I can look back now over the course of my life and see places where God has used me to do that. And I'll be honest, I didn't like it. And it wasn't fun. But I can see the life and the spirit of God and what he has done because someone was able to say, I am in this place for such a time as this. If you are doing your best to follow Jesus, to love him and to honor him, and you still find yourself in dark places, perhaps that's not a sign of disfavor. Perhaps that's not a sign of your failure. Perhaps that is where God has planted you to push back hell. Can you receive that? we got to keep going. So here's, here's a quick review. Here's what we've covered so far. Are your brains doing okay? Okay. All right. Here we go. So we're involved in a, in a spiritual struggle. Check. God has strategically placed us like pieces on a chessboard. Check. He's told us your job is to stand against evil. And then he tells us to put on the armor of God. 
which means we have a responsibility. There are things that we must do to prepare ourselves and to present ourselves if we are going to be successful in this resistance. Now, some of you are as old as I am, and you might remember the movie Crocodile Dundee. Remember the scene when he's walking around New York and somebody pulls out a switchblade? And he says, you call that a knife? This is a knife. I had a reason for that story, and now I can't remember it. But it's a great movie, and if you haven't seen it, you should. We have a responsibility to make sure we have what we need. I really did have an awesome, like, and this is going to make the most sense and blow your mind, and now it's out of my head. Here's what I want you to catch. You and I have a responsibility. There are things that we must do in order to be prepared. The reason that Crocodile Dundee could look at this guy that had this little switchblade and laugh was because he knew he had prepared himself for an encounter such as this. You and I must do the same. And so he says, stand firm then, Ephesians 6.14, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. Always keep praying for all of the others. What does that mean? Let me break this down for you. It means truth, righteousness, salvation, and the word of God are the qualities and tools that frustrate the purposes of Satan. Not how smart you are, not how wise you are, but how committed you are to the truth of God, the righteousness of God, committed to walking out your salvation and understanding the word of God. That's what is frustrating the purposes of Satan. Jerry Cook said it this way. To the degree that you are a person of truth, a person in whom righteousness dwells, who is committed to what is right, a person whose life is dedicated to peace, which sounds odd if you're talking about struggling, a person living in the wholeness of salvation, a person who not only knows the word of God but lives it out, to that degree, you are someone who is blocking the strategies of Satan. That means the degree to which you participate in the opposite of those things, you are helping to promote the strategies of Satan. Let that sit for a second. You're either for me or against me. You are either a gateway or you are a gatekeeper. You are either one through, through whom, gosh, it sounds horrible, evil spreads, or you are one at which evil must stop. With, within every levy, you know what a levy is or, or a dam holds back the water? There, there are spillways. There are gates that they open to let water go through in order to regulate the pressure on the levy or on the dam. And when we're confronted with the schemes of the devil, we're going to find ourselves in one of two positions. We're going to be a gatekeeper or a gateway. The families that stood before you this morning were saying, I'm committed to be a gatekeeper for my children. 
I am dedicating them to the Lord. And when the forces of hell would come in like a flood, they're going to come up against me and go, whoops, my bad. Because I have found myself confronted with someone who is determined for their family that they will be a people of God and hell will not come through. So I want to be a gatekeeper. I don't want to be a gateway. And so then Paul begins to break down what that requires of us. Understanding that he says, he begins with, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That word power is the same word we find in, in Acts 1.8. It's what we find expressed at the day of Pentecost. None of these things are we asked to do in our own strength, but with the life-giving power and presence of the Holy Spirit. So understanding that that power and vitality is available to us, he says, stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. I had to ask myself, why does Paul start here? I want to start with the sword. If there's a struggle, if there's a battle, can I please begin with the offensive weapons because that seems a lot safer for me and a lot more fun. Paul starts here because truth frustrates Satan because his kingdom is based entirely upon deception and upon lies. Since the cross, which we celebrated in worship this morning, Satan has no legitimate power base. 1 John 3.8 says the reason the Son of Man, the reason Jesus came was to destroy the devil's work. And Christ's death on the cross destroyed his power base, the power of sin, the power of guilt, the power of shame, offered forgiveness and left the devil without a legitimate claim. So the only power Satan has now is the power of lies. But the power of lies remain incredibly powerful if those lies are accepted as truth. When you believe the lie is true, it becomes your reality. And if I'm lying to you and you're accepting my lie as truth, I have power over you. But the moment the blinders come off to you and you realize what I am representing is not true, that power is broken. This is why scripture says you will know the truth and the truth will what? It will set you free. I'm not deluded any longer. I understand what is happening. But on the other hand, if I participate with denial and untruth, I am empowering Satan in my life. If I am empowering Satan in my life, how can I possibly be anything but a gateway? I can't be a gatekeeper as long as I am not living in the truth that God has revealed. If I believe his lies about me, about God, about you, I give him a power base right where I'm standing. Now, we don't do this on purpose. We, we do this because we're deceived, which is why Paul begins, God begins with the belt of truth. So let me remind you of some of the things that Paul has said are true earlier in his letter. He says, you are a masterpiece. He says, you are chosen. He says, you are holy. He says, you are loved. He says, you are forgiven. He says, you are a new creation. He says, you are redeemed. He says, you're a child of the king. And he says, you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. As that list goes on, something inside of you should start to kind of go, 
well, yeah, wait a minute. And the, the view that you have about yourself or others might have, the, the hurtful words that have been spoken over you, they begin to lose their power because we are beginning from a place of being centered with the belt of truth. That's not true. How do I know what's not true? Because I knew what is true. How do people learn to identify a counterfeit bill? By spending time feeling real bills. So when the, the counterfeit comes, they're like, oh, doesn't feel right, doesn't smell right, doesn't taste right, doesn't look right. So I'm going to start from a position of truth. And Paul says that that belt of truth needs to be buckled around your waist. In ancient times, the waist and lower abdomen, they were, they were considered the seat of life. So Paul is saying the truth is the seat of life for every believer. This is where everything starts and finishes. I was, I was reading an article that talked about how so many of the other elements of armor are connected to the belt, the, the breastplate being tied down, the, the sword being in a scabbard, the, the legs coming up, the, the Roman leggings and being attached around the belt. Everything starts and finishes with the, the truth. I got a couple other stories, but I need to, I need to, I need to wrap up. Here's the sad truth. Christians lie. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Could be something really outrageous. Bill, I used a foot wedge yesterday. There was a ball behind a tree, and I kicked it over two feet, and then I hit. It's called a lie of omission. When Bill asked me my score, I told him my score minus the foot wedge. Pete, don't look at me right now. <laughs> Pete was also there. The degree to which you allow untruthfulness to become a regular part of your life to that degree, you empower Satan in every area of your life. And you are not a gateway, not a gatekeeper. You become a gateway. The degree to which you commit to be a person of truth, whether that truth is easy to share or hard to share, you become a gatekeeper. You become the place where hell can get that close but go no further. And you and I live in a world that has given away many of its absolutes. Truth is no longer valued. People do and they say whatever they want to in order to get what they want. And we expect it. We, we even excuse it. We're a politician. Can't expect them to tell the truth. Well, that's that news organization. They're not. It's become the norm. So what happens and how attractive does it become to people if there is a community of faith or even an individual who are known as a person of authenticity, truth, and integrity. And then when you begin to share words of hope and comfort with them, they go, I think I can hold to that. I think I can believe you because you have demonstrated yourself to be a person of truth. Evil thrives in the environment when people can't get centered or understand or hope for or believe in what's true, which is why it is so important for you and I as spirit-filled believers 
have truth at the center of our being. It, it begins and it ends there. I can't utilize the other elements of my armor if this is not on. So here's, here's my encouragement. Here's my challenge to you this week. We'll, we'll unpack the rest of the armor of God next week. Can we commit to be truth tellers? Here's the word you'll have to put away. You ready? It's a Christian F word. Fine. I mean, we don't, we don't just, listen to me, we don't just lie about what we did or didn't do. We, we, we lie about how we're, I'm talking to a pastor this week. I said, how you doing? He goes, I'm fine. I'm doing good. I said, really? And he goes, no. My dad died. My wife is sick. And he just went down this list. And he was like, I don't know why that came out of my mouth. But if we can be a people of vulnerability and authenticity, how powerful is that? How are you doing? Lousy. Huh, can I pray for you? Yes, that would be wonderful. That's how that works if you needed that modeled. You and I are engaged in a struggle. Once we say yes to Jesus, whether you've chosen it or not, you're in it. And nobody is Switzerland. We're either victor or victim. And praise be to God, we get to be victor. So I want to pray for you. I want to pray for me. I want to pray for us. Then we're going to leave this place as truth tellers. And we're going to come back next Sunday and learn about all of the other awesome things God has provided us with. So stand to your feet, church. Lord God, we are your people. We are called by your name. We are strategically placed to bring the light and love of Jesus to those around us. We are also strategically placed to frustrate the schemes of hell. And so I ask, Lord God, that you would help us as we commit to be a people of truth. Lord God, that you, by your spirit, would just quicken our hearts every time we're tempted to be less than honest. Lord God, that you would allow us to to live as light bringers. And Lord, where we wrestle with fear because we have been truth tellers in the past and people have not appreciated our honesty. Lord God, would you do a work of healing right now in this moment? Would you restore the places that have been harmed, the places where people have been wounded? Lord God, each and every one of us are your children. And so each and every one of us are capable of living as gatekeepers. And we want to follow you into your future and live that way in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.